<laughs> One thing. I don't know why. It doesn't even matter how hard you try. Keep that in mind. I designed this rhyme to explain in due time. All I know. Time is a valuable thing. Watch it fly by. It's a pendulum switch. Watch it count down to the end of the day. The clock ticks life away. So unreal. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a little something. Give me a little something. Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. Today's podcast is about scholars who disagree with me about the book of Habakkuk. And the aim of today's podcast is to invite you into some of the incredibly engaging academic conversations that surround this little book, but to also show you just how beautiful and complex that the book of Habakkuk really is. And as a pastor, I'm, I'm not anxious about talking about scholars who disagree with me because I'm less interested in defending my exact opinions uh, about Habakkuk, and I'm more interested in inviting you into the wild, mysterious, and unexpected world of the Bible where you develop a life of exploration and curiosity. That's why I'm even excited to do a podcast on scholars who disagree with me. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope that this podcast helps you worship local. My name is Cole. I am one of the pastors at Frontier, and I'm here with my bro dude, Joseph Donafro. Joseph Donafro. No Andrew today. No Andrew. Sad. Miss you, bro. Yeah. Miss you, bro. How are, uh, how are things going with uh, the book of Habakkuk for you right now, dude? Great. Um, I enjoyed this past week. Um, I like the, I like that we're going through things that are more or less intense and we can walk (laughs) away. It's really intense on Sunday. And we can walk away from it still in love with Jesus and still caring for each other. And I think that that... That just says a lot to the community we're in, and so I, um, I really value um, this season that we're in for sure. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, it was really intense on Sunday, and I, I knew that going into it because you're you're exploring a text that's primarily about the wrath of God, Him pouring out His woes, pouring out woes on the nation of Babylon. So, like, you can see it on paper, but it's still just on paper. Mm-hmm. So I knew it was going to be heavy, but after Sunday, I was like, whew, that was a really heavy Sunday. Yeah. I wish I had done it in Christ alone, because it would have gone perfectly with the text. I actually was thinking about it afterwards. I was like, oh, come on, man. You should have reached out and gotten that one on the on the books for us. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm excited to explore a couple different scholars <laughs> who disagree with our interpretation about Habakkuk. But before we do that... Um, can we tell? I mean, this week was intense, but the week before was also intense. Luke, Snowden, that the one? No, Andrew. Yeah. Now yeah. the sermon, not not necessarily the sermon content. It was oh, faith okay, alone. Okay. But you, dude, you had a moment in worship where I don't know. It seemed like you were <sighs> in tears, and we kind of paused in the worship service and we prayed. Do you, you you cool with exploring that a little bit on the podcast? We haven't even. 
We no. haven't even rehashed that conversation yet. We, we have not. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I really felt the love of the Father mm-hmm. in that moment, and specifically over the church. Um, there was a lot going on in general for for us. Um, like me specifically leading and um and I think I just even in the midst of all that was going on personally, it was like, oh my goodness, like you just won't stop coming after me right now. Mm-hmm. You're just going mm-hmm. hard for me and I just I really felt that and and then to <clears throat> lay that out over the over the church as well was um. Yeah, I just really felt that strongly—the love of the father over the church and his children—and it just really hit home. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know if like I don't know if I've been in a place like that in a long time where I just felt that in touch with the feelings that were happening. Um, okay. Yeah. And. Not in a bad way, like that. I that I haven't in that long, but I just, I don't know. Sometimes I, I guess sometimes I just, I go, 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 and I need to stop and wait. And that's something that also has been really like great with this whole sermon series, the whole like Watchmen and sitting and waiting. <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah. I've been doing that a lot more than I normally do. So that yes, also, dude, awesome. I think that also has caused my heart to become a little more tender towards the Lord and really like soaking in um, all that's happening, um, all that he's doing in, in the church and in me. And so, um, yeah. The 9 a.m. was really, really rough that morning. <laughs> like just technology stuff, computer yeah. stuff, tech stuff, um, live stream stuff. And and so it felt like the 9 a.m. was really kind of cold and distant and it felt like we were anxious. And I was just really, really really frustrated with that service. And so I felt the Lord laid on my heart between the 9 and 11. Hey, grab as many people as you can and just get them there at the 11 o'clock before the service and have them pray over the preacher and and you. And so we we got a, a couple more people than usual to pray. And I was like, okay, this is good. God is doing something unique. And then when you kind of had some of your moments in the worship set, I was like, yes, okay, now the Spirit is really piercing our church and this is really yeah. really cool right now yeah and that's something like i've told you this before and i've i think i might have even said it in service before but i'm always very diligent in the midst of everything that's going on to just ask the lord what are you doing what do you want mm-hmm. to say what do you want to speak um guide us in that way however you see fit and so this Sunday was, it just looked a lot different than it normally has, I think. Yeah. So, for me, for me too, as a pastor, it really crystallized your calling in our church. Um, because I think a lot of people misunderstand your calling. They think, mm. oh, yeah, Joseph is called to lead us in singing. And that's totally true. And that's totally a huge component. Um, but that's not all you're doing. You're called to lead us in worship. Mm. And so, moments where you pause and press into the spirit you're leading us in worship 
moments where the spirit profoundly impacts you and you've got to pause and go pray with somebody and you've got to pause and, and cry. You're leading our church into further worship, which is your vocation. Like that's mm-hmm. your that's your calling at our church is to lead people in worship, and worship is more than singing. Yeah, yeah. There is, I mean, there's an emotional connection to that. I mean, with any relationship, there's an there should be an emotional connection to those those relationships, um, and, and even more so with the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. And I mean, at so for me, sometimes I think I. I avoid that because it can look to some like, oh, we're just like being emotional for the sake of like feelies and stuff like that. And I, so I think I like push away from it because I don't want to like, I don't want to seem like we're just going for the feels, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but I mean, in that moment, there's nothing I could do. I mean, it just hit me. And like, I don't know, I don't know how else to explain that other than the Lord's working in my heart. And he's really, he's really trying to like speak to me and do something in the midst of the service. And so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, throughout scripture, you see it. Even even Jesus wept. I know that's like so cliche to say, but he did. Like yeah, he was sweeping yeah. over certain things, but he was connected emotionally. David, I mean, the way that he connected emotionally in his relationship with the Lord was such. I don't know why we're talking about emotion so much, but I feel like that's something that I'm really like feeling right now as we're talking. Mm-hmm. But like, you see it throughout. There's a lot of Joseph and Genesis. I mean, yeah. what I think there's there's five patterns of him crying. Yeah, weeping. So. I don't know. It's something that I feel like we do shy away from a lot because we are, you know, we find the Lord and the Holy Spirit working through the Word, through His Word, which is fantastic. But sometimes it masks over um, the other side of the coin, I think, in how we connect with Him spiritually and emotionally. And so, um, yeah. Good Sunday. Do you... Well, you do feel like we do that? Like we avoid the feelings? Sometimes. I would do you feel say, like I do that? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. I Sometimes I think it's just subconscious. I think it's just a way to like, like we really like dive deep into the scripture and it's not like a bad thing that we do that, but it's, it's a, we, it's like we're, we're holding on to that hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And if we deviate, if we like put our Bible down and we deviate from that, like just like walk away from Bible for a second to just have that time with the Lord away from the Bible, then like we're letting go of like our rock, our stronghold, our sword, which is, which, yeah, of course, like you're letting your guard down and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to potentially move in your heart you know that I mean I, I get that picture like you have your sword and you're in battle and you like put your sword down to go and like be with the Lord away from that like weapon that you use every day to fight off the enemy mm-hmm. but you got to trust the Lord that even though your weapon's down over here he's going to protect you you know like outside of that there's there's other ways that he has put his guard around us and I don't know. I think I might be going crazy right now. I'm just talking about Yeah, maybe a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, <laughs> but but truth and emotion are not at, like they're not competitive with one yeah. another, and you don't yeah. have to prioritize one or the other. Like here's so here's Jonathan Edwards, 18th century pastor. Like really love this dude. Mm. He said. The church needs shepherds who are empowered in their ministry by experiencing the reality of true religion through religious affections. Mm. So, like, my way of kind of rehashing, like, my way of saying that would be, um, as leaders, our job is not simply to teach people to think rightly about God. It's to teach people how to think rightly about God and to show people how to feel rightly about God. And both are essential, and both work hand in hand. Like it's like it's it's like um it's like that that Spurgeon quote that I used in a sermon I think like four or five months ago where somebody asked Spurgeon, um, "What's more important, reading my Bible or praying?" Hmm. And Spurgeon responded by saying, "What's more important, breathing in or breathing out?" Yeah. What's more important, feeling rightly about God or thinking rightly about God? What's hmm. more important, breathing in or breathing out? Yeah. Non competes. Yeah. Um, thank you for wrapping that up for me. I, you can't let me say crazy stuff, dude. No, okay. I like, dude. I like it. I like it because. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not you just gonna... you just help me. You just help me like eloquently put it. And, 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 and it, I need to. I need like a bow on it. Well, I'm, I'm a Christian hedonist. Man. Yeah. So I'm all about let's give our people the highest possible degree of truth infused with the highest possible degree of feeling and emotion. Mm. I want both always in everything, the worship, the communion, the preaching, and the community. I want both. Yeah. And that's why I think we even landed at Frontier, because I had all the feeling and none of the truth, even though like the truth oh, was spoken to me. none of the truth. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like I had the truth, like Jesus, but oh, you did me personally. Oh, yes. Okay. I thought you said we did. No, 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 no. <laughs> me and and so like like over the course of my life, it was just feels, feels, feels forever, and like that's just how we connected with the Lord. And yeah, I needed yeah. I needed a place where I could like sit under the the preaching of the the word of the Lord and actually like study it and take the time, which is why I'm always excited about the exposition, like all of these texts that we go through and the things that we like really dive deep into, especially like a book, like a back of three chapters. I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I need because 20 years before I didn't have that, you know, I didn't have that time where I was really diving deep into the word. And so, mm-hmm. um, so my, my hypothesis is, and I want, I want you to tell me whether or not you found this to be true. But my hypothesis, and this shapes the way that I lead and shepherd and, and pastor and preach, my hypothesis is that the strongest affections are always at the very bottom of our brain. Hmm. So the deeper we go in truth, the more deeply we feel about who God is. Hmm. So I never feel like, uh, do I have to choose between depth of exposition or depth of feeling rightly about God. I always feel like the strongest emotions are at the bottom of my brain, so I want to yeah. dig and dig and dig for them. Mm, that's good. Yeah? I, I connect with that, yeah. Sweet. Well, should we talk about some scholars who disagree with me? Let's do it. Have you disagreed with the preaching so far in Habakkuk in any way? I can't say that I have. Okay. Um, but, I mean... I agree that there is 
total freedom to disagree and it's okay to do that. Yeah. I'm not the Pope. Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't imagine you wearing that silly hat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Okay. So we got, we got, we've got three scholars and these, these scholars each disagree with the way that I've preached Habakkuk. Mm. So let's take them, let's take them one by one. Does that sound good? Yeah. Good, because I don't know any other way to do it. <laughs> so here's here's the first scholar who disagrees with the way that I've handled and preached Habakkuk. There are scholars who believe that Habakkuk's prayer life is not an example to be imitated. Let me say that again. Habakkuk's prayer life is not an example to be imitated. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously at odds with the way that I've handled Habakkuk so far, which is yeah. by putting him forth to our church as an example of, hey, this is what it looks like to complain to God. This is what it looks like to be genuine and authentic about your complaints before the Lord. And this is a good thing to do in your prayer life. But yeah. not every scholar believes that. I think because you, there, there are people who preach, trust the Lord. Trust Him. He's good. He's going to take care of you. Like, don't complain to Him because then He's not going to take care of you. That's, I think that that come, we actually had that conversation, I think, in our community group a little bit, just in how, like, some people have been raised, like, don't complain because then God's not going to do things for you. Hmm. So, Mm -hmm. and that, I mean, valid. I mean, I can, I mean, I see where someone could be coming from an angle that way. Like, like, you know, you don't want to complain to people in your life. And because like, if you're like, oh, well, you didn't give me such and such and such, they're not going to want to do things for you, you know, like, you didn't didn't help me do this. Well, okay, well, I'm not going to help you do anything else. So, (laughs) you know, like, so I can see where that, that mindset would come from. Yeah. And God passionately hates grumbling Mm -hmm. in the scriptures. Yeah. Which is not the same as complaining. Mm. But I, so I can see I can see why scholars arrive at this conclusion that Habakkuk's prayer life isn't an example to be imitated. Here's one piece of evidence. Um, one piece of evidence that scholars use to say, no, 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 we're not actually supposed to imitate the prayer life of Habakkuk, is the lack of Habakkuk's background, family origins, and story throughout the rest of the Bible. So throughout the rest of the Bible, when you read it, even though other scholars will quote certain parts of Habakkuk, mm. no other book in the Bible makes mention of Habakkuk as a character. Which is weird because yeah. even the prophet Jonah gets a reference from Jesus. Jonah was a he was a disaster, yeah. and, and even Jesus says in Luke eleven, "For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation." But there's there's nothing like that about mm-hmm. Habakkuk. Habakkuk's character is shrouded in mystery. We don't really know much about him. So, what conclusion do some scholars draw from this absence of Habakkuk as a referential figure? Well, they, they draw the conclusion that Israel and early Christianity must have seen Habakkuk as a source of shame. Which we've referenced that kind of before, haven't we? Yeah. In one of the yeah. other podcasts, a yeah. little bit. His absence. Yeah. The, yeah. the canon. Yeah. Like he as just, a character, not yeah. as a writer. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting, actually. Yeah, but nobody else is like pointing back to Habakkuk. And so mm-hmm. a lot of scholars think that, oh, that must mean that Habakkuk's prayer is disobedient prayer that's not meant to be imitated. But Habakkuk primarily functions um, as a prophet who hum- humiliates God's people. Yeah. 
And so everybody kind of avoids Habakkuk and they don't want to reference Habakkuk. And so you think that's because they see it, his complaints rather as grumble, grumbling as is like as Israel would have done before. And they, you know, walked around the desert for forever. Yeah, maybe, I think maybe that's, that's part of it. Like, so another shred of evidence is that this is going to get a little bit deep into literary criticism, but Habakkuk's first two complaints in Habakkuk, you know, we've summarized them by saying that Habakkuk is in the presence of God and he's saying, God, don't you see what's going on here? What are you even doing? Aren't you going to do anything? Mm-hmm. And then his second complaint is, are you not from everlasting? Like, didn't you make a covenant with us? How could you use them to discipline us? When you when you take those two complaints, they're very, very, very similar to Jeremiah's complaints. And when you read mm-hmm. Jeremiah's complaints, there seems to be evidence that God's fi- that God finds Jeremiah's complaints to be unacceptable. So Jeremiah complains to the Lord in the book of Jeremiah, and the Lord rebukes him by saying, "If you've run against men and they tired you out, how will you run against horses?" So do you see the connection there? If God responded that way to Jeremiah, mm-hmm. then he must be responding this way to Habakkuk. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. So this is even deeper literary criticism. This this next one. Okay, so watch watch this. This is a third piece of evidence that people will use to say um, that Habakkuk's prayer life is not something to be imitated. What they'll do is they'll contrast Habakkuk's first two complaints in chapters one and two with Habakkuk's psalm in chapter 3. So, spoiler alert, Habakkuk chapter 3 ends with a psalm. Mm-hmm. So, they'll, they'll contrast those. And what they do is they note that in chapter 3 in Habakkuk's psalm, where Habakkuk rejoices in God and he kind of comes around and he repents, they, they note that the Bible actually has instructions to the choir master to set chapter 3 to a psalm. Right, so like, here. Let me. I should have had this open. But but when you read, when you read Habakkuk, chapter three. Mm-hmm. It ends after verse nineteen by saying to the choir master, with stringed instruments. Yeah. So what's Habakkuk saying? He's saying, let's put let, let's sing this song. Let's put this to a song and let's bring this into corporate worship and, and sing it. And these academics argue that we don't see that for Habakkuk's first two complaints. In other words, the first two complaints we're not gonna sing, those are bad. Mm-hmm. But Habakkuk's psalm, man, put some strings to that and let's bring that in as a worship and praise song. Hmm. So it just you just like take one chapter and the other two see you later. Don't even need a, don't need that. Is that what you mean? No, close. They take one chapter and say let's imitate this. Yeah. And they take those other two chapters and they say, hey, this is good for our humility, but that's not an example for us okay. to follow. Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, dude, it's not just dis- full dismissal, but it's definitely like downplaying it. Bro, I can see how people would get there, though. Yeah. Like, I'm not a hater. Um, I'll be honest with you. About half of my community group is in that spot. Hmm. Where my my community group is like... Oh, half of my community group is like, I 
feel deeply uncomfortable with Habakkuk, and I don't think that God wants me to imitate him in his prayer <laughs> life. And I actually understand them, even though I don't wow. land there. Huh. I guess I, I guess I connect with how you're preaching it based on like, I don't know. I, I was always like in college, they talked to us a lot about just going to the Lord with everything we had, because mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. you start going to other people with whatever you're praying about, whether it's good, bad, up, down, who cares what it is, you, you start to lose like the value and whatever you have to bring because like people don't react the same way as the Lord always rejoices or he's always there to comfort. He's always there to wrestle with you. He never leaves that spot and he does everything perfectly. So the second you take it to a person, the way that they react to what you're saying is lesser than what God can always bring to you in validity of whatever you're bringing. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, yeah. You leak it out onto other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you, and now there can be unhealthy aspects to that because if you don't ever talk to anybody about anything and you're just like always in your room praying and you're not like interacting with humans, then <laughs> I feel like you're just holding a bunch of stuff in and you're never actually like, yeah, you know, wrestling with your peers, which is the body of Christ. You have to do that. Mm-hmm. I think there's a healthy way to do that um, prayerfully first and then with with your brothers and sisters. So I don't know. That's just that's just like something when I when I have been kind of processing all of it, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Like go to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Be with him. It's okay. He's not gonna like smite me because right. I'm talking to him about all my stuff, you know. Right. Because I'm mad about something. Why would you let this happen? Yeah. Why would you let my dog die? You know, like, <laughs> he's not, I don't know. I just, mm, mm. bad example, but you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah. I get what you're talking <laughs> about. Yeah. That's good. Let's look at the second scholar who disagrees with me. Okay. So the, the second scholar who disagrees with the way that I've preached Habakkuk is when they look at Habakkuk standing on the watch post. Mm-hmm. Actually, do you want to read that for us? Habakkuk chapter two, verse one. So when they read Habakkuk taking a stand on the watch post, they don't read it as like a beautiful example of solitude and faith, which is the way that I preached it, mm-hmm. right? Like, hey, find your, find your watch post. Find your place of solitude where you can be silent before the Lord with military vigilance and just look out into the distance and wait to hear back from him. So there are scholars who don't think that that's what's happening on the watch post, but they believe that Habakkuk is engaging in an imaginary argument. Mm. So read read chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station my st- myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And I will answer concerning my complaint. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. Excuse me. So like I'd illustrate the difference in, in tone. So the way I preached it was very much like, God, I'm going to wait right here patiently with faith to hear back from you no matter what you say to me. Mm. But there are some scholars who think that Habakkuk is on that watchtower saying, I'm going to stand right here 
and I'm going to wait for what you could possibly say to me, Almighty God. Like, I'm, mm. I'm going to wait, and I've got a better argument than whatever you say. So there are scholars who think that that's what's happening on the watch post. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I see that. I can see that. Yeah, I could too. Even though I don't agree with it. But if he's complained before, then why, like, why would he be, like, calm and, like, I'm going to stand here and wait for you, Lord? You know? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So, one one scholar that I was reading said that this is the moment when you're arguing with your parents where you realize that in what you've said, you've crossed the line and mm. you're wrong. And so you start to humble yourself and be like, oh, okay, well, I definitely crossed the line. And mom and dad, if you want to discipline me, that mm. makes total sense. So it seems like there's a change of heart in Habakkuk to me. It seems like, but then he complains again. Does he? Yeah, is this, oh, is this? No, that's okay. after no, no, second no, no. Okay, yeah, 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 that's right, okay. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, maybe. That's interesting. I mean, maybe. There seem to be three things that are going on in Habakkuk's mind while he's on the watchtower. So if we could, like, crack open Habakkuk's brain yeah. or do, like, a, a prayer MRI scan on it, mm-hmm. I think we'd see three things going on in Habakkuk's brain while he's on the watchtower. The first is silence, right? I, I yeah. think that Habakkuk is embracing silence because that's part of prophetic tradition, which is Habakkuk is a part of. Habakkuk's a prophet, and prophets have a strong history and legacy of embracing solitude and silence, right? Moses experiences the burning bush revelation while he's practicing solitude out in the wilderness as a shepherd. Hmm. Ezekiel has his amazing prophetic vision of the enthroned God while he's doing solitude by a river in Babylon. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit out into the solitude of the wilderness to begin his ministry by being tested by the devil. So Habakkuk is part of that lineage, and so he's probably a man who is really well-practiced in silence and solitude. So he probably has the capacity that we don't have, Mm -hmm. which is the capacity to be able to turn off all the interrupting radio frequencies of our inner lives. Did I get this job done? Did I finish that chore? Did I answer that email? Did she text me back? He probably has the ability to turn those frequencies off and just empty his mind waiting for God to respond to him. So I think that's got to be going on while he's on his watchtower. This is a, a prophet embracing the prophetic tradition of solitude. This is when we think about uh, when we think about Habakkuk's watchtower, this is Habakkuk's version of Jesus's wilderness. It's yeah. Habakkuk's version of Ezekiel's river. It's Habakkuk's version of Moses's Mount Oreb. Hmm. So I think he's being quiet in the presence of the Lord. Um, but the second thing that I think is on Habakkuk's question or on Habakkuk's mind is the question, what is God going to say to me? Yeah. And that comes through in the text. The second half of verse one, he says, I will look out to see what he will say to me. So Habakkuk knows God. He knows God's character. And so, because he knows God's character, he's probably able to anticipate various ways that God might respond to him. Is God going to strike me down? Is 
God going to hide himself from me? Will God rebuke me, exhort me, or encourage me, or argue with me, or, or quarrel with me? So it seems like Habakkuk's eyes are steeled into the distance, his face is set to the darkness and the horizon, and his mind is beginning to obsess over what God might say to him. Hmm. You do that, right, with people? Yeah. Like imaginary argument, you wonder yeah. like what the person is going to say? Mm-hmm. All the time. I get really frustrated. <laughs> and then I have like this whole argument with myself in my car or wherever I'm going. Because <clears throat> I want to be prepared for the argument. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to know like how it's going to go. And it definitely got, it never goes the way that I like assume it will. <laughs> I know, right? So. Do you ever have imaginary arguments in your head with me? I don't know if I have. Oh, but, come uh, on, dude. I mean, you I don't know. had imaginary arguments with me. We'll say yes. I just need to figure out which ones they were. <laughs> but we're bros. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and because you know me so well, and you know my tendencies, yeah. you can almost predict what I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. No, that. yeah. I mean, and that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Because like, there's a lot of time spent... So the argument, you know, it, whatever, if I'm having an argument in my head with you, that's that's a good point. The time spent with you, the relationship we have, like that, um, knowing that and knowing knowing you, I can like have that argument. It's probably not healthy, but, it, you know, I probably should actually just talk to you about whatever it is, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um. What did you say just a minute ago, though? I mean, you said something, and I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to that." I don't know. Oh, okay, okay, but um, but there's this other, there's this third thing that's going on in Habakkuk's brain, which is connected to the second mm. thing, which is the question: How will I respond to what God might say to me? He's turning that over in his mind. Mm. Not just what is God going to say to me, but can I think one step ahead about what I'm going to say to what God says to me? So this is in the second half of verse one. He says, I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my Mm -hmm. complaint. So what's going on in Habakkuk's mind? What is this? Like, he's just... I mean, he's just trying to be prepared for everything. I mean, maybe he's, maybe you're right. Maybe he yeah. is like, uh oh, I'm wrong, but I need to figure out how to like respond to this because <laughs> otherwise I'm going to be in big trouble. <laughs> right? like, so I totally, see, I totally see why scholars think that he's having an imaginary argument with God right here while he waits for God to respond. Yeah. It has all the components of, an imaginary argument. While he waits for God to respond, he's clarifying his position. He's running his arguments over and over in his head. He's anticipating what God's going to say. He's wondering if his arguments can stand up to God's scrutiny. He's kind of an obsessive, chronic, imaginary arguer like us. Hmm. I can't believe she said that to me. Yeah. Right. I can't believe that he had the nerve to say that to me. I should have let her. I should have let her know. I should have dropped the, the hammer on him by saying that. It seems like Habakkuk might be doing that with God. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of regret in what you didn't say and you should have said, or you think you should have said. That happens too. Yeah, Like you have an argument, you go back and you process the whole thing, you're like, yeah. I should have said that to them. I can't believe I didn't say that. <sighs> Ugh. Ugh. And then you want to go back, 
but that's not a good idea. It's already done. Like what's done is done kind of a thing. Dude. And so this is going to blow your mind. It blew my mind. But the, the last shred of evidence that scholars will use to say that Habakkuk's watchtower scene is a seething scene of anger and not a scene of faith is the watchman reference. Because what do watchmen on city towers watch for in the distance? Not friends. Foes. Yeah. He's not looking inside the city. Hmm. He's looking outside the city to where an enemy might be coming. So at this point in Habakkuk, some scholars think that Habakkuk views God as an enemy. Oh, man. That is Freaking something. mind-blowing, right? Hmm. <laughs> what? So this is not Habakkuk with open arms. Yeah. This is Habakkuk with a middle finger, is what some scholars think. I don't ultimately land at that position. But that is, it is compelling, nonetheless. Totally. Totally. Because if you, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to destroy Judah with Babylon. And you're like, mm, come on, come at me, bro. Right? So like, he's waiting for uh, God to come in to Judah yeah. on the watchtower so he can sound the alarm and fight against <sighs> God, is what some scholars think is going on here. Ooh, buddy. And then you want... Crazy. Know, mm. Crazy. Isn't the Bible amazing? Yeah. <laughs> is his faith wavering? Like, oh man, that's kind of crazy. That is... So here's, here's my final take on this argument. Those scholars might be right that Habakkuk mm-hmm. is having an imaginary argument with God. Mm-hmm. In fact, I do think that they're right. But ultimately, I think you can criticize Habakkuk for being an imaginary arguer all you want. And psychologists are divided over what we're accomplishing when we have imaginary arguments with people. But the one thing that all psychologists are united over is why we indulge imaginary arguments with other people. It's because we attribute tremendous value to that person. Mm. So you can criticize Habakkuk all you want for indulging his imaginary arguments, but I would say that Habakkuk really values God, and he actually expects to hear back from God. That's good. Unlike many of us. Wow. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Really values God. Mm. Even when he disagrees with him, Mm -hmm. wrestles with him, and is frustrated with him, God is still a massive figure in his imagination and heart. Hmm. Man. You want to do one more, scholar? Sure. Okay. So there's one more scholar who did... Well, not one more, just for this podcast, though. <laughs> there's one more. There's, only one. There's one more. There's, I could only find one person who disagreed oh, with me. <laughs> so here's scholar number three. Um, have Habakkuk chapter two, verse four ready. And I'll have you read it. Mm-hmm. When Habakkuk talks about how the righteous will live by faith alone. Some scholars believe that Habakkuk is not talking about how faith alone saves us spiritually, but how faith alone will save Judah politically, nationally, and physically. So read read for us what some people think that the center of Habakkuk might be. Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up, It is not upright within him, 
but the righteous shall live by his faith. So here's, here's a scholar named David Baker on this verse. He says, quote, While the odds might be strongly against Judah in the face of Babylon, if they wait patiently for Yahweh, God will give them life both politically and nationally in contrast to the national demise of Babylon. So what Baker's saying mm. is that this text is not saying that people who put their faith in God will go to heaven and people who don't place their faith in God will go to hell. What this text is saying is that Babylon is going to experience a national demise because of their arrogance. And Judah, as a nation, if they remain faithful, will be nationally preserved. Mm. So if Baker heard my sermon on this, he'd be like, dude, you're misappropriating this. This is not about being saved spiritually. He would criticize my sermon big time. Yeah. But I think where is he coming from with that argument? He's not a Christian. (laughs) He's Jewish, so he doesn't have the fulfillment in the New Testament. So there... Therein lies the issue. That's where the head butts. But I can, I mean, you could you could draw that conclusion just in, I think, in general. Even, even as a Christian, you could say that just because you wanted to have a great defining moment there and just be done with it. But, mm-hmm. like, well, I think there's more to it than that, too. There's, it goes deeper than that. I think there's a lot to be said of... Just what we were talking about earlier with Romans. I mean, this is a good one. Yeah, dude. Because Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 becomes Paul's favorite verse. Yeah. So Paul's favorite verse in the Bible isn't from Isaiah or Genesis or even Exodus. It seems like Paul's favorite verse comes from this little minor testament or like little minor prophet from the old testament whose name is habakkuk and on on two or three different cases paul actually references habakkuk 2 verse 4 and both times are in the context of being made right before god so in romans chapter 1 verse 17 paul's talking about the gospel and mm. paul says for in the gospel the righteousness of god is revealed from faith for faith As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Hallelujah. Or in Galatians chapter 3, he says, He says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for, quote, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul picks up this verse, and then the New Testament, it becomes the basis for how we are made right before God, not by obeying the law, but only through faith in Jesus and faith alone. Mm. Isn't that dope, dude? So good. That's so good. Mm. So there are some people who call this the the verse of the Reformation because this doesn't this actually isn't just Paul's favorite verse. Yeah. It's actually Martin Luther's favorite verse too. That's, dude. Mm. That's what we were talking about. Yeah. That's what you said to bring up. Yeah. The the New Testament versus Old Testament stuff and how we connect, like we overlook Old Testament versus New Testament and yeah. because there's 
faith to be found in, and like with what this is right here, like you get lost in like the Bible story stuff. Sometimes in the old Testament, you feel like it's better to be in the new Testament, but we find this stuff in like in Habakkuk of all Mm -hmm. places. We overlook that because we feel like we're better Christians because we live in the new Testament and we don't always reference the old Testament because it's harder to find Jesus in the old Testament. People literally say, well, that's just the old Testament. Yeah. What's the metaphor you said? Uh, I was talking about how like the New Testament yeah. versus the Old Testament is kind yeah. of like looking for uh, skipping rocks yeah. versus digging for fossils. Mm. Where like when you read the New Testament, it's like looking for skipping rocks. They, yeah. They're all on the surface for you. You pick them up and you throw them. Yeah. You find a hundred skipping rocks and, and 30 minutes of skipping mm-hmm. rocks on the beach. The Old Testament is more like digging for fossils. Yeah. Right? They're not just on the surface for you, but when you dig them, dig them out and you don't find quite as many, but when you find those fossils, they're like super duper precious to you. And I bet for this, for this scholar, he can't make that connect as mm-hmm. a Jewish writer and scholar. So for him, the Old Testament is almost the opposite. You know, it's almost yeah, completely yeah. flip flop. Right. And and that's that's interesting to me, and and it's really an, I don't know it's something that I I really enjoyed about this is like you're digging and you're finding these nuggets like this one specifically, and you don't ever think about it because we always read Romans or Galatians and we're like, oh, that's so great, but <laughs> yeah, the last yeah, thing yeah. you're the last thing you think is I wonder where he's referencing that from, right? You just don't think about that. And here we are, and it's like, this is where that came from, and th- and all of this other th- all the other stuff is happening to Habakkuk, and he's crying out basically, you know. I mean, he's just oh man, the the state of demise he's in, he's just totally like undone, doesn't know what's going on. He's so frustrated and confused mm-hmm. and sad mm-hmm. and lonely, and 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 Paul's like. The righteous shall live by faith. And Luther's right, like, the right. righteous shall live by faith. <laughs> and Habakkuk's like, oh my goodness, help me. <laughs> the righteous shall live by faith. Yeah. And I don't know, I just, I love this. This is just, it's fun. This is exciting. This is an exciting way to grow your relationship with the Lord, to to be a better Christian. I mean, you just, you, we're learning a lot, and that's super fun. It's It's super encouraging, and it really... I mean, it's exciting. Mm. It's like so. This analogy might be really bad because I haven't, I haven't actually, I, I haven't worked it out fully mm. yet before it comes out of my mouth. But I think a lot of times Christians see the Old Testament and the New Testament as two different stories or two different books. Mm-hmm. But the early Christians didn't. They saw it as the exact same book. The yeah. difference is that they had Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus to them was like the secret magic ink decoder yeah. that they could run over the Old Testament and all of these secret hidden things that were on the page appeared. Yeah. Did you ever have that, the magic ink thing? Oh, yeah. Where you write, write an invisible ink and then mm-hmm. you go over it and it comes to the, the surface? I did it today with Joseph Levi. You did? It's like the color, magic color thing. But you start coloring yeah. and the colors come out. 
That's what Jesus is. When they go yeah. back to the Old Testament and, and ran Jesus over it, mm-hmm. the rest of the text emerged, which is yeah. the New Testament, yeah. which is the same story, but in a different sequence. It's like the wheel you were talking about on Sunday, the wheel of oh, history. Oh, yeah, yeah. Albert Schweitzer's yeah. the wheel of history metaphor. And they look, I mean, the the Greeks and the Hebrews, at the, in that moment in time, the way that they viewed the world... And the way that they processed their their faith in Jesus is totally different than we do today. The way they thought was different. Yeah. Their thinking. Yeah, yeah 100%. Totally different. Their mental processes were way different than ours. Because we have to like, <laughs> we have to read the New Testament and we have to like read 15 different books to figure out how they were thinking about it. But the second Paul said something, the second Paul even said the righteous shall live by faith. Everybody in the crowd was like, Habakkuk said that. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> you know? My boy Hab. Yeah. Habercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> and Abdul then, Jabbar. And then they don't even reference him, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Poor guy. Poor Habakkuk. Yeah, no, just gets lost in the dust. But Luther, so like, there's this great <laughs> article that I would highly encourage our church to read, which is called How Habakkuk Chapter 2, Verse 4 Changed the World. Yeah. And uh, it notes how, you know, Luther was struggling in the Roman Catholic Church. He never felt like he was right before God. So there's Mm. those classic scenes of Martin Luther climbing up the stairs of the church on his belly, whipping himself. And he always felt the overwhelming weight of his sin and the overwhelming responsibility to measure up enough to God, but not feeling like he was righteous before God. Mm. And in 1515, according to Luther himself... He read Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and it struck him like he had never struck him before. The righteous shall live by faith, which is from Habakkuk 2. Mm. And apparently what Luther did is he looked at the Greek word for righteousness and saw in that moment that the righteousness that God was talking to was a gift that was freely given. Mm. So it struck him. Oh, In faith, God gives us the gift of good standing before God. And Luther said that's the moment that he became born again. Hmm. And that's the the engine, we might say, of the Reformation, the engine of understanding that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Oh, wow. Pretty amazing, right? It's fantastic. And then we're going to go into Romans after this? Oh, oh I gosh. can't wait. Wear a helmet because your <laughs> brains are going to explode. <laughs> it seems fitting. Yeah. yeah Especially so. now. You know, we're referencing Romans via Habakkuk, and then we're going to go directly into it. That's going to be fun. <laughs> so here's my final word on that scholar. Um, I do think that he's right, that Habakkuk is primarily talking about God persevering judah nationally but as much as we don't like to admit this the new testament writers like especially paul Mm -hmm. they didn't read the old testament only literally they also read it allegorically Mm. so when they read about god persevering the the physical lives of, of judah they saw that as an allegory that pointed towards a future reality where God saves us eternally and spiritually by faith alone, through grace alone. Pointed to a future reality. Yeah. So, Revelation's an allegory? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's true and allegorical. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's next. <laughs> in fact, okay, so this is really in the weeds, and then we'll we'll just be done after this. Okay. But um, in like second or third century BC, there was this group of Jews called um, Essenes. Mm-hmm. And the Essenes believed that the canonical process for which prophecies made it into the Old Testament and which didn't depended on one factor, which is the prophecy had to be true, not just for that particular time, but for the end times too. Hmm. So we have these prophecies in the Old Testament, not just because they were true for Judah or Jerusalem, hmm. but because they will ultimately be true in the end of times too. Which hmm. really is how you have Paul interpreting the Old Testament. Like that was not just true for them; it's also true for us spiritually. Mm-hmm. So it's actually kind of crazy because the Essenes ended up believing that all this turmoil in Habakkuk would also come true in the future. Right? There would be this future Babylon, yeah. which is what John thinks in Revelation. Mm-hmm. He refers to Rome as Babylon. Yeah, and the Essenes also believe that they were waiting on a second Habakkuk. Another prophet like Habakkuk, who would stand in the gap for God's people and hmm. point towards a coming future destruction, which is what Jesus does. Hallelujah. Hmm. There it is. Hmm. <laughs> so I don't disagree with that historical interpretation of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But as a New Testament with the Holy Spirit, as a New Testament believer with the Holy Spirit, I just think that we have the freedom to interpret that allegorically, just like Paul did. So, mm. so I'm out of steam, man. Steam. I'm out of notes. Do you have anything else you want to say? I'm excited to go into this next sermon. I think that's going to be really fun. You said it was. Wrath and the supremacy of God? What did you Basically, say? Basically, sovereignty. Sovereignty, that's what you said. Yeah, baby. That'd Is be God fun. just to pour his wrath out on people if he's also sovereign over their behaviors? Yeah. Yeah. I also like to know that we don't have to agree with you on everything. <laughs> I know, right? There yeah. are super smart people who are way smarter than me and better looking than me who disagree with me, and we love them and high five them. I agree with that. Uh, you feel you feel yeah. the freedom though to disagree with my preaching, yeah. right? I yeah. know you love it most yeah. of the time, but yeah, I think I would. I mean, it's good to know that like there is freedom in that. And I can actually have conversations with you or anybody in my community group, my fighter group, whatever, about those things. And we still love Jesus together. Mm-hmm. We're still brothers in Christ together. You know, there's that's uh, that's healthy. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to be like, oh, I disagreed with this one thing about the preaching today, yeah. so I have to go to a different church. Yeah. No, no dude. Like we can be committed to each other and still. Yeah hash out differences and Mm -hmm. disagree with one another over minute um, interpretations of the scriptures. Yeah. So I think that's healthy. Glory be. Mm. Peace be with you. Well, dude, thanks for having this conversation with me. I know it was a lot. Yeah, but it's fun. This is fun. Good. Hopefully the church is encouraged by it. Yeah, I hope so too. 
Mm-hmm. I hope that you guys feel exactly what Joseph is saying, which is like the freedom to breathe and yeah. to explore the preaching of God's word and to be like, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. That's totally good, guys. Any critical relationship with Jesus will have that type of feel to it. So mm. so we love you guys, and whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope that this conversation helps you guys worship local.